Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare and we're starting this canto on a very auspicious day the uh, appearance day of Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur this uh, this is one of those this is that time of year where there's one after another uh, festivals right so yesterday was which yesterday was what festival What's that? Appearance day of Vamana. Yes. And, or was that the day before yesterday? No, that was yesterday, yes. And Jiva Goswami, right? Wasn't it Jiva Goswami? What were you saying, Suganda? Same thing, Prabhuji. Vamana day of appearance day. Yes. yes. Okay, then today is Bhakti Notakur. And tomorrow is the disappearance day of Haridas Thakur. So we especially, in Vrindavan, we used to especially celebrate that day um, because uh, we had His Holiness Govinda Maharaj for many, many, many years living in Vrindavan. And just as Lord Chaitanya would go, and uh, it says in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, he would personally beg alms and get all the foodstuffs necessary for a big feast for Haridas Thakur. Govinda Maharaj used to go around and beg donations and then cook a huge feast for all the devotees for Haridas Thakur's uh, disappearance day. Very wonderful. I, I remember that with great uh, um, affection for, for Maharaj and for his appreciation of Haridas Thakur. So Maharaj Prikshit said, My dear Lord, O Sukadev Goswami, you have already described in the second canto the path of liberation, Navriti Marg. By following that path, one is certainly elevated gradually to the highest planetary system, Brahmaloka, from which one is promoted to the spiritual world along with Lord Brahma. Thus, one's repetition of birth and death in the material world ceases. And in the purport, Prabhupada talks a lot about the compassion of a Vaishnava, and I decided to focus on uh, the same topic Prabhupada brings up in verse number six. So we'll talk about that then. But this is the, the path of Nivriti Marg. You know, it's a gradual path back home, back to God, and where one goes to Brahmaloka, and then eventually at the time, at the end of Lord Brahma's life, can enter the spiritual world. O great sage Sukadeva Goswami, unless the living entity is freed from the infection of the material modes of nature. He receives different types of bodies in which to enjoy or suffer. And according to the body, he is understood to have various inclinations. By following these inclinations, he traverses the path of pravriti marg, by which one may be elevated to the higher, to the heavenly penance, as you have described in the third canto. That's, of course, if he's lucky, you know, but Pravitti Mark can also mean the path of sense enjoyment, where one certainly doesn't necessarily go to the heavenly planets. But uh, um, And as we all know, Shinya Marcha Loka Vishanti, you again come down to uh, earth after using up your pious credits in the heavenly planets. So he's talking about Nivritti Marg and Pravritti Marg, the path of enjoyment, the path of renunciation. And it says, you have also described at the end of the fifth canto, this is fresh in his memory, he just heard it a few minutes ago, the varieties of hellish life that result from impious activities. And you have described in the fourth canto, the first Manmuntara, who was presided over by Swayambhuva Manu, the son of Lord Brahma. 
So he's kind of, it's like giving a little review before asking his question. My dear Lord, you have described the dynasties, or dynasties, and characteristics of King Priyavrata and King Uttanapa. Those were the subject matter of um, the fourth and fifth canto, right? Uttanapad was the fourth canto and Priyavrata was the fifth canto. The Supreme Personality of God had created this material world with various universes, planetary systems, planets, and stars. This is all from the fifth canto, right? With varied lands, seas, oceans, mountains, rivers, gardens, and trees, all with different characteristics. These are divided among the, this earth planet and the luminaries in the sky and the lower planetary systems. You have clearly described these planets and the living entities who live on them. And now, the, that, that was all the lead up, right, to this question. Oh, greatly fortunate and opulent Sukadeva Goswami, now kindly tell me how living human beings may be saved from having to enter condi hellish conditions in which they suffer terrible pains. So it, it's, it's interesting what, you learn a lot sometimes by what uh, a dying person uh, thinks about or asks about. But Maharaj Priksha is not your average dying person. He's about to die. He could be totally focused on his circumstances. And what does he ask about? He asks about the welfare of others. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> when we, when you think about it, he, you know, he has a few days left and he could just want to get, I just want to get absorbed in Krishna Kata and save myself. And he's asking about the welfare of others. Uh, Vishwanath Chakrabarti Thakur comments on this verse. Uh, he, he rephrases Prichit Maharaj's question. Please explain how persons can avoid going to these hells, which give them terrible pain. Just as one should learn how one attains fortunate and unfortunate results, so one should also know how to extinguish the unfortunate results. So, so compassionate. And I was thinking of uh, this statement from the, uh, the book, My Glorious Master. He said, Burjampu says, I sat with Prabhupada in 1972. So it's just to highlight Prabhupada's similar compassion. I sat with Prabhupada in 1972 in Manila, the Philippines, when he was scheduled to speak in the Hotel Intercontinental's Grand Ballroom. As we waited to start, Prabhupada toyed with a paper flag on a wooden stick. It broke. Prabhupada laughed like a child, as if saying, just see the nature of this material world. Then he told me, my desire is that all living beings in the universe go back to Godhead. You please help me with this desire. And then another time, Prabhupada um, said uh, he was, uh, I think, oh gosh, where was he? I, I think it was in Chicago. Yeah, Chicago. He said, early morning till night, we are always thinking how people will be happy by Krishna consciousness. And they are coming here for a rowing boat. You see? They, how blind they are, human life, so intelligent life, and they are utilizing it for rowing boats. How blind they are. Not a single moment should be wasted, and they are simply finding out how to waste time. Crime, what to do. Hippies, what to do. Problems, what to do. Why, what to do. Here is the direction. Do like this. No, sir, I will not do that. <laughs> so my question to you is, 
These are great souls, Maharaj Prichit, Srila Prabhupada. What is needed to feel this compassion? What 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 is needed to develop that? I mean, or at least let's say to follow in the footsteps of that level of compassion. What do we need to do? Sudanda, are you going to say something? No, Prabhupada. Okay, your light is on for some reason, at least it says here. What do we need to do? Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes, Raghunanda Prabhu. I think the first step is for me to become Krishna conscious. Okay. So when I am practicing Krishna consciousness properly, then I will be able to see other living beings as spirit souls and their sufferings. And then the compassion will be there. Otherwise, I'll be influenced by the material modes of nature. Okay. Also, you'll be experiencing the uh, transcendental happiness and want, and naturally want to share that with others. Okay. What else? Or Hare is Krishna. that sufficient? Hare Krishna. Yes, Ananda Rupa. So Prabhu, um, actually everything really points back to being Krishna conscious, but if we, I take a little lower step down, I'm thinking that to be able to feel compassionate, I must be situated in at least in a mood of goodness. Okay. Um, being compassionate uh, is one of the, uh, probably one of the characteristics of divine nature as we study in divine and demonic uh, breakdown of nature, right? And also uh, to feel that level of care for other living entities, one should have some, that much faith in god or krishna and that everybody is part and parcel of krishna so that one can feel uh, others uh, uh, you know when he sees other persons in distress you know to really feel it to their heart mm, so yeah yeah it all relates to being in certain mode of nature and when we follow uh, bhakti we gradually elevate to that level and we can experience that good thank you anyone else Prabhuji, we can um, associate with others who are um, compassionate, who are engaged in this teaching mission and help them um, by serving them. Very nice. Yes. And by associating with them, like you said, you, you, you pick up some of their compassion. Nice. Very nice. These are all good. I would add maybe that, um, uh, oh, did someone want to add something? Oh, no. Um, I may add to, it helps if we really understand the nature of this world and especially in comparison to the nature of the spiritual world. Um, it's such a, for, for, if we actually have that some realization that it's such a stark difference and the challenges of the material world are such, you know, birth, death, disease, old age, and, and all the relationships and, and everything that's happening in the world. And it's, we take it, we take it that that's just the way things are. But, um, really that's not the case that one doesn't have to experience these threefold miseries. Very good. So shall we carry on then? Um, the next, although I think I have a few other things to say about this verse. It's such a powerful question. Such a powerful question. Um, let's see. In the purport, Prabhupada writes, in the 26th chapter, so that was the last chapter we read in the fifth canto, 
of the hellish planet. Sukadeva Goswami has explained that people who commit sinful acts are forced to enter hellish planets and suffer. Now Maharaj Pariksit, being a devotee, is concerned how this can be stopped. A Vaishnava is para dukkha duki. In other words, he has no personal troubles, but he is very unhappy to see others uh, in trouble. And then at the end of the purport, intelligent men. So, so that's so that's that's uh, another way to look at it, and it's very connected to what Rabindranath Prabhu was saying. To come to the level of having no personal troubles. Now, that doesn't mean you know we all know it doesn't mean our health is going to be perfect or our finances are going to be perfect. But it does mean that when one is actually practicing sharanagati, surrender, and one is feeling Krishna's presence. Towards the end of the purport, Srila Prabhupada writes, intelligent men must take advantage of these instructions. Unfortunately, however, the entire world is lacking Krishna consciousness, and therefore people are suffering from the grossest ignorance and do not even believe in a life after this one. And then Prabhupada says the frustrations or the challenges of, a, of someone who's sharing Krishna consciousness with others. To convince them of their next life is very difficult because they have become almost mad in their pursuit of material enjoyment. So when one is really absorbed in material enjoyment, even if one kind of theoretically knows that there's a next life, one just thinks, okay, later I'll worry about that. And maybe we as devotees have had that experience in our own uh, development of Krishna consciousness. That I know better, but you know, I got you know, but kind of in the back of our mind, we don't say this out loud because we know it's bogus. But we still think, well, I got much longer to live, and I'll, I'll take it more seriously a, a little later. You know, so uh, so we have to be convinced ourselves, like fully convinced about the next life, and do our best to help others think about that. Otherwise, from the Shastric point of view, we are squandering our human form of life. Okay, any further points on text number six? Okay, then we'll go to text seven. And it's very interesting, the test of the guru to his disciples. Sukadeva Goswami replied, my dear king, if before one's next death, whatever impious acts one has performed in this life with his mind, words, and bodies, if they are not counteracted through proper atonement, prayaschitta, according to the description of the Manu Sanghita and other Dharma Shastras, one will certainly enter hellish planets after death and undergo terrible suffering, as I have previously described to you. Prabhupada writes, Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur mentions that although Maharaj Pritchett was a pure devotee, Sukadeva Goswami did not immediately speak to him about, uh, about the strength of devotional service. And then towards the end of the purport, for Karma Kanda, there are 20 authorized scriptures, such as the Manu Sanghita, which is known uh, as Dharma Shastras. In these scriptures, one is advised to counteract his sinful acts by performing some types of fruit of action. This was the path first recommended by Sukadeva Goswami to Maharaj Prikshit. And actually, it is a fact that one who does not take to devotional service must follow the decision of these scriptures by performing pious acts to counteract his impious acts. 
This is known as atonement. So these verses 7 to 19 uh, talk about removing sinful reactions through karmic atonement, through uh, jnani-like atonement, and through bhakti. So the first thing that struck me when I read this read this verse is where it says, if before one's next death. So next death, right, indicates that we had previous ones. And so back to that point we just made, that, that you know, in, in the Vedic culture, there was this clear understanding of the eternality of the soul and the transmigration of the soul into different bodies. So Sukadeva Goswami is pointing out to the king, he's pointing him towards prayaschitta, the process of karmic atonement, that you did this thing wrong, you have to do this to atone for it and, and wipe the slate clean, erase the blackboard. Because because reactions to one's improper acts are carried over to one's next life. So like I said, this was the Vedic culture. People knew there was a next life. And and as Prabhupada says at the end of the purport, if you weren't, if you didn't have the fortune of being connected with bhakti, then something like this is what a lot of people did. They, you know, it was pious to want to overcome someone's impious uh, acts with some pious acts. Um, and Prabhupada even mentions, he'll mention this quite often, right, that, that, the, uh, that in Catholicism, they have this idea that you go to confession and you confess your sins and then you say so many Hail Mary, whatever the priest tells you to do to um, atone for those sins. And Prabhupada could appreciate that on one level, but then challenged it just as Prichit Maharaj is going to in the next few verses, that don't, you know, don't take the bath and then th- as the elephant does and then um, uh, throw dirt on you right afterwards. So if you, okay, great, confess your sins, but then don't commit them anymore. So this, uh, in the Madhya Lila Chaitanya Charitamrita explains that uh, there's a verse, there's a purport that says, uh, after all, whether it is moist or dry, stool is stool. Similarly, Material activities may be either pious or impious, but because they are all material, they are compared to stool. So, Prichit Maharaj is going to reject this suggestion by his guru, Sukadeva Goswami, and for this reason that, that it's, it's material. You're, you're, you're solving a material problem with another, with a material solution. And it doesn't get to the heart of the issue. But it's also interesting here that the spiritual master is testing his disciple. Uh, any, we're gonna we, we, maybe I'll develop this a little bit more and then take questions and comments. Okay, because it uh, it develops more than the next few verses. Therefore, before one's next uh, death comes again, repeating that second time, as long as one's body is strong enough, one should quickly adopt the process of atonement according to shastra. Otherwise, one's time will be lost and the reactions of his sins will increase. As an expert physician diagnoses and treats a disease according to its gravity, one should undergo atonement according to the severity of one's sins. 
And in the per, uh, in the purport here, Prabhupada says, previously the system was followed all over the world, but since people are become atheists, they have they are stopping capital punishment. And for those, I think a few of the devotees here uh, are in the Bhakti Shastri class, and we talked. Uh, we had a whole discussion about capital punishment. Um, and its efficacy here. Remember also, Prabhupada is commenting, same, it's very interesting here, and also in the first chapter of the Gita, he's commenting about capital punishment, but he's also uh, commenting it in the area, in the, in the context of something that is later rejected by Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita and by Sukadeva Goswami in a few verses in the Bhagavatam. So, it's an example of we can read something in Prabhupada's books and it seems quite clear, but we have to look at it more deeply. Uh, and I'm not saying, you know, whether we're, you know, for or against capital punishment, but there's a lot of other points to be made. For example, here Prabhupada is talking about the benefit for the, the sinner. And sometimes that's not the number one concern in, in, um, in any, you know, in, you know, is the, what about the benefit of the victim's family? What about the benefit for society? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we'd have to look at, uh, and I also mentioned, I believe there's four countries in the world that have capital punishment, America, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and China. And so some people may feel that those aren't the best, the best countries in the world to emulate. So, I, again, I'm not making a, uh, an argument for or against, but making an argument that we have to look at sometimes at things more deeply than to take and to quote Prabhupada maybe out of a little context here and just say, oh, yeah, we're, well, we're talking, you know, and, and then you're out, preach, you're out talking to someone about Krishna consciousness. Yeah, well, we actually favor capital punishment because it, it, it uh, wipes the uh, sinful reactions for the, uh, the murderer. And there's, there's truth to that. And all I'm saying is, is there can be many considerations. Um, some some people, uh, but the, the, the interesting thing is, if we are for corporal punishment, it's for totally different reasons than uh, the average uh, person. Oh, David says that uh, that Singapore also practices. Thank you. Um, it's for you know the, people say use it for the reason of deter. It's a deterrent. Uh, some people falsely say in America that it saves money, but actually costs millions and millions of dollars. I'm not sure exactly why, but it costs tons of money before someone is actually uh, um, executed in America. I mean, million, literally millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. Um, probably not so much in some of those other countries I mentioned, <laughs> but I don't know. Um, so, so it does it act as a deterrent? Well, statistics don't, don't play that out, at least, uh, in America. And then also, one statistic is that 4% of the people executed later were found to be not guilty. So, you see, so do we have the qualified, uh, you know, we had these great, saintly, qualified, insightful kings in the past, in Vedic times, and do we have that today? So, again, uh, again, just, um, pointing out the complexity of some of these things. And we can read it simply in Prabhupada's one sentence, and, and but we may have to go more deeply into the context Prabhupada is saying it, and also uh, how it would apply in the real world. Before we go on, any thoughts on that? 
You know, I had heard, um, when I first heard about the capital punishment and the devotee's opinion on it, it was, it was the, the, they were telling me that you can't do it now because there's nobody qualified to be sure that the person's not innocent, you know. Like, just like you said in those ancient times where there were qualified persons, but there's nobody that qualified today. And there's no, yeah. It's harder, yeah. And, and I, I, I want to, on the other side, people do heinous acts sometimes, just terrible, terrible, terrible things that I think most of us would say, oh, yeah, probably they should be killed. You know, they kill their, they, they, they rape and kill, you know, 10-year-old girls, you know, five 10-year-old girls or something like that. And you just say, oh, my God, that's, why should that person live? You know what I mean? So we are talking, you know, we... We are talking sometimes that people in this world do really, really, really terrible things. Just to, just to, you know, counterbalance that. Okay, so we carry on. But the point is, I don't think anyone who's, uh, except for maybe a few people who've read the Manu Samhita, are uh, saying that, no, we should do capital punishment to benefit the uh, murderer in his or her next life. <laughs> so this is definitely a, a different angle on the uh, on, on the topic. Hare Krishna Prabhu? Yes. So, capital punishment is beneficial if the person who is, you know, punished and has committed the crime, right? We already identified four persons have been proven. And they, we do not know how many percent of people did not commit the crime but could have been given capital punishment. Yeah. So, it is. it has to be very carefully. It's like a sword, two-edged sword. Yeah. Thank you. The judge would also, would also take the reaction for having given this to an innocent person. So again, Manu Samita, if you go, it also describes that administrator has a great responsibility and has this uh, possibility of getting tainted by giving an improper judgment. Yes, and then there's the thing of what if the person become, goes to prison and becomes a theist, yes, a devotee, Mm-hmm. And uh, then we then we shouldn't you know, you know what I mean. So there's all different uh, angles on this, for sure. Okay, let's continue. Uh, text number nine. Maharaj Prichit said, "One may note know that sinful activity is injurious for him because he actually sees that as a criminal is punished by the government and rebuked by people in general because he hears from scriptures." and learned scholars that one is thrown into hellish condition in the next life for committing sinful acts. Nonetheless, in spite of such knowledge, one is forced to commit sins again and again, even after performing acts of atonement. Therefore, what is the value of such atonement? So he's being quite a bold uh, disciple. He's saying, my dear Guru Maharaj, no, no, this is not the right answer. This is, uh, this is not... You know, it's just taking a bath and then getting dirty again, and and it's just this cycle of of sin, prayaschitta, sin, prayaschitta. It doesn't uproot the cause. You're not. This is not deep enough. This is not deep enough for me. Sometimes one who is very alert as to not commit sinful acts is victimized by sinful life again. I therefore consider this process of repeated sinning and atoning to be useless. It is like the bathing of an element, elephant, for an elephant cleanses itself by taking a full bath, but then throws dust over its head and body as soon as it returns to the land. It's called uh, Kunjara Sochabat, exactly like the bathing of an elephant. 
Okay, so Sukadeva Swami says, all right, well, that didn't work. Let me try something. Let me, let's present something else. <clears throat> Sukadeva Swami, the son of Veda Vyas, answered, my dear king, since acts meant to neutralize impious actions are also fruitive, right? So they're also in the karma kandic, dharma shastric range, uh, realm. They will not release one from the tendency to act fruitively. Persons who subject themselves to the rules and regulations of atonement are not at all intelligent. Indeed, they are in the mode of darkness. Unless one is freed from the mode of ignorance, trying to counteract one action through another is useless because this will not uproot one's desires. Thus, even though one may superficially seem pious, he will undoubtedly be prone to act impiously. Therefore, real atonement is enlightenment in perfect knowledge, Vedanta, by which one understands the supreme absolute truth. So Prabhupada writes in the beginning, the goal, the guru, Sukadeva Goswami, has examined Prichit Maharaj and appears that the king has passed one phase of the examination by rejecting the process of atonement because it involves fruitive activities, material activities. Now Sukadeva Goswami is suggesting the platform of speculative knowledge. So we'll continue. Because uh, he continues on this point, my dear king. If a diseased person eats the pure, uncontaminated food prescribed by a physician, he is gradually cured, and the infection of, the, of disease can no longer touch him. Similarly, if one follows the regulative principles of knowledge, he gradually possesses, uh, progresses towards liberation from material contamination. But this is not enough, right? We understand this is Gan, and Gan has its uh, challenges. <clears throat> You know, the difficulty with the Gyan cure, uh, Prabhupada explains in this purport, is that we tend to identify ourselves as one with the Supreme. So this trap, uh, the trap of a Gyani may be more, uh, it may be a more subtle form of ignorance. Um, one, uh, but it's, um, he, he or she also will eventually likely fall down. No, that's the wrong verse. Uh, because of not taking shelter of the lotus feet of Krishna. Um, Prabhupada writes that there's every chance of falling from the platform of karma to hellish conditions, but on the platform of Gan, one is saved from hellish life, although one is still not completely free from infection. The difficulty is that on the platform of Gan, one thinks that he has been liberated and he becomes Narayan or Bhagawan. This is another phase of ignorance. And so at the end of the purport, Prabhupada writes, oh, actually, there's that verse, none, nonetheless, Ganis at least know what is sinful and what is pious, and they very cautiously act according to the injunctions of the Shastra. So, but we also know from our previous studies, and this is where one of those examples that, you know, one needs to have the uh, full picture of Prabhupada's teachings and, uh, and reading Prabhupada's books. Uh, I was just commenting recently to a devotee and I said that, uh, to read, to, to understand some of Prabhupada's books, you have to read all of them. So we also know elsewhere that Prabhupada would sometimes say that 
the sense gratifier is, at least for the, if we call the impersonal or the Gani a Mayavadi, the sense gratifier is better off than the Mayavadi because at least the sense gratifier is not committing um, aparad, offenses against the Lord. But the Mayavadi is, you know, basically saying that God, Krishna has, is, is deaf and dumb and blind, etc. And, and that kind of depiction and, the, and that they are God. So they have a, in one sense, you, we, we say sometimes that the Mayavadi has a greater desire for sense gratification. They don't want to just have a house by the sea or lots of money in the bank. They want to become God. <laughs> but at least, but here Prabhupada is emphasizing something different, that they are follow, they follow Shastra, at least parts of Shastra, and they are not involved in sense gratification, and they can see things more clearly, and they can perform their kind of prayaschitta. Uh, and let's just read a little bit more, then we will take comments. So this is, this is a very, this is a famous verse Prabhupada would quote sometimes, and this is the practice of a gani, not the practice of a devotee, although some things are similar, the practice of a gani. To concentrate the mind, one must observe a life of celibacy and not fall down. One must undergo the austerity of voluntary, give, voluntarily giving up sense enjoyment. One must control the mind and senses, give charity, be truthful, clean, and nonviolent. These are all things devotees should do also, right? Follow the regulated principles and regular, prophet adds, regularly chant the holy name of the Lord. Thus, a sober and faithful person who knows the religious principles is temporarily purified of all sins performed with his body, words, and mind. These sins are like the dried leaves of creepers beneath a bamboo tree, which may be burned by fire, although the roots remain to grow again at the first opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, in these two verses, Sukadeva Goswami, he's, he's listing the practices of the Gani that fix the Gani in austerity and goodness, like celibacy, rejecting sense pleasure, and all the things we just read. Um, these, these will purify him um, and free one of the sins committed with the body, mind, and words. But Sukadeva Goswami says, you know, that these sins are like you know, these dry leaves of creepers beneath a bamboo tree, which may be burned by fire, although the roots remain to grow again at the first opportunity. So, right, so those, you know, if you don't get to the roots of a, of a weed, for example, or here the bamboo, um, and pull out the weeds, then even fire won't necessarily kill them, and they can grow up again. So in the purport, Prabhupada writes that our Krishna conscious movement is teaching people how to concentrate the mind on devotional service. This is first class tapasya. So the real austerity for us is love, is bhakti, it's devotional service. Now, then Prabhupada talks about the uh, eight aspects of celibacy, and he says if a brahmachari or sannyasi talks with a woman in a secluded place, Naturally, there will be a possibility of sex life without anyone's knowledge. Therefore, complete brahmachari practice uh, practices just the opposite. So this is an interesting point. Um, the, uh, our vice president, Mr. Michael, Mike Pence, has been criticized for kind of following this, this rule, right? Uh, you know, people criticize him for a lot of reasons, but they add on to this one, right, that he doesn't want to be 
in a place uh, with another woman who's not his wife. And we may have whatever we may think about Mr. Pence uh, and his politics. That's we're not going to discuss that. But actually, um, I think for for initiated devotees and serious practitioners and what to speak of brahmacharis and sannyasis, it is a it's a good practice in this. You know, when when it's practical, when it's not fanatical, and and you know. You know, your, 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 your car broke down and you're in the middle of Alligator Alley between uh, Fort Lauderdale and um, Fort Myers and there's mosquitoes everywhere and someone pulls over and gives you a ride but it happens to be of the opposite sex. You say, oh no, I can't be in the same... You know what I mean? <laughs> we have to sometimes be practical. But as, as a general rule, it, it's, it's, it's in a society that is very much... Um, Focus on on regulated principles. It's not a bad practice. It's it's actually a healthy practice, and it's easier to do in certain cultures. In in I for I know like Burry Jumperbu, he lived for fifteen twenty years above my in my house. It was a separate entrance on the top floor. And if if any you know he's a, he's a grihasta, but still any time or vanaprasta. Uh, anytime a, a, a woman devotee would come to see him, he would always call me and ask me to uh, accompany her. Or he would say, you know, tell, tell the woman to bring a friend of hers with her. And he was very, very, very strict about that. And and it's just it's just good, especially for him as a spiritual leader. Um, it's just good. Then there's no doubts, right? There's no there's no. Uh, Nobody can say, oh, I saw somebody walking up to Burj and Prabhu's flat the other day. What's that all about, you know? And then it ends up on Facebook and et cetera, et cetera. Right? So I think it's a good practice uh, as a general rule uh, without, without, you know, like I said, without fanaticism. It's, it's a good thing. Some thoughts on, uh, on that or all the points that we've been hearing about the Jnana process, the Jnani's process of atonement. I have a question, Prabhu. Yes. Um, Parikshit Maharaj is re, uh, rejecting even the process of atonement. Then how does the living being suffering in the material world come into picture here? Because how, the, how the sufferings that are uh, faced are experienced by the living beings in the material world, how is it, how is it going to be helpful? for that living being because even the atonement process is not helpful to overcome the tendencies to commit sinful acts then the sufferings that are coming by committing those uh, sinful activities how is it going to be helpful for the living being how is what going to be helpful the prayaschitta no even the the sufferings that are being experienced by the living beings because it is coming as part of a reaction for the action that has been done by the living being. So even the suffering seems to be useless. So why is there suffering in the world? If, if it I had the same question, like, so what is the rationale for putting us on this planet? And yeah, you asked me that question. Uh, <laughs> well, the <laughs> rationale for putting us on the planet, that's a little easier than, and I'm sorry, I didn't get to my homework assignment, Andy. But that one is, is a little easier in the sense that uh, 
Krishna creates us with free will, and love means free will, right? Uh, and and if we don't want to love him, he creates a place where we can live in such a way where we you know focus on our own uh, enjoyment rather than his, rather than having a relationship with Krishna. Um, so that's you know, and we can get into a whole discussion about that. Um, but what what was your question last week, Andy? Oh, why why does how does suffer? Oh, I remember. How does suffering in a uh, wait? It, how does suffering in this life serve as an impetus spiritually if we don't remember what we did in our last life? Something along that line, right? Or how does how does the suffering uh, serve as a lesson if um, we don't remember our past life? Wasn't it something like that? Yeah, that was actually I think Henry's question, but oh, Henry. Oh, maybe it's Well, Prema Tarangani is going to answer that question. <laughs> He's usually really good with this sort of stuff. Prema Tarangani, do you have a, do you have, because uh, I didn't do my homework, so I'm asking you. <laughs> Hi, Krishna. I'm just on the spot here. <laughs> um, how does suffering in this life help us? Uh, well, Henry, what was the exact question? If we don't remember... Yes, that's the point. How we know that we're being punished if we don't remember what we did or something like I, I, you know right. I If we don't remember what we, yeah, if we don't remember what we, yeah, that's right. Uh, how are we learning anything from it? How are we getting um, uh, uh, rehabilitated? Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, I don't necessarily look at suffering as just a punishment. <laughs> Because I think suffering is meant to teach us or even the whole concept of karma. Sometimes we just look at it as, you know, you get good things for good things and you get bad things when you do bad things. But I think um, the point of karma also is that there's, there's something for us to learn. And so even if we don't remember what we did in our previous lives, I think... Um, when we are going through the suffering, um, especially those kind of sufferings like where there seems to be like, uh, there's like a repeated pattern, you know, something happens. Mm. And I think we can look at what is that particular mentality that we have of uh, maybe controlling the material nature in some way or enjoying or, you know, whatever, right? And I think that gives us some clue as to why uh, we have a particular kind of suffering also. Uh-huh. Okay. Thank you for that. We'll think about Thank you very much for that, Prematrangani. And we'll think about this more. This is an important uh, point. And, it'll, and, we, and it's connected somewhat to the Ajamil pastime. So, um, so very good. But let, let's... let's Think about this because it's an important, it's a really important question. I mean, you know, Andy, your question, of course, is, you know, the, the existential question, why are we here? Um, and Prabhupada would give two, two answers to the purpose of the material world. One is that place that Krishna allows us to be where we can consider ourselves the center of attraction instead of Krishna. Uh, and two, to give us an opportunity to reestablish our relationship with him. 
Yeah. Okay. And uh, anything else on what we would just discuss? Well, you know, um, I'm kind of stealing something from another Bhagavatam class, the wisdom of the sages, but they were saying nothing happens to you. It happens for you. So really uh, everything that happens in our life is actually a blessing and the mercy of Krishna to show us the correct way to behave. Very nice. Nothing happening to you. Uh -huh. Very good. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you for that wisdom of the sages. And I think also another point is also sometimes we just can't figure out like what's my lesson or something, but sometimes the lesson is just that, okay, I'm not, you know, this material world is a place of suffering and I need to get out of here. It's just meant to bring that kind of like detachment. Uh, because sometimes we can f maybe figure out after a while, like what's my lesson, but sometimes we can't. And that, and, that, and thank you for saying that. Cause that's, that was our Junus situation, right? Yeah. Like what, what am I supposed to do here? What's the lesson, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and therefore, Sisaste Ham Sarimam Twam Prapanam. Hare Krishna? Yes, Ananda Rupa? Yes, Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Oh, Jeeva Yeah, Hare Krishna Prabhu. So, in reality, Krishna, he's our best wisher, right? He's our best well wisher, he's our best friend. So, he cannot give us suffering. It is our perception looking at things that we make a differentiation because of the relativity being conditioned. We look at things as happiness and distress, the dualities of this world, <coughs> hot and cold and so forth. So it is us who are basically identifying things differently. In reality, everything is happening for our benefit. Yeah, like, uh, in Bhakti Yoga, that's why, I mean, it's again, we uh, hear about Bali Maharaj. Yeah, well, you're, you're, you've jumped ahead a few verses. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the conclusion, yes. Yes, Hare Krishna. So nothing bad happens, actually. And can I add something, Prabhu? I just yeah. wanted to add that in these so-called moments of suffering, often, you know, we tend to introspect, you know, why things are happening to me. You know, what could have been done to avoid this? Or what is the lesson for me? I mean, in spite of having all this knowledge and teachings, you know, if things are going fine, everything looks good, you know, we don't stop. And there is a tendency always to commit offenses or sins or, you know. And But when things don't go favorable often, I mean, earlier Raghunandan Prabhu raised a point or question that <clears throat> how is suffering supposed to teach us something when anyway, you know, through the experiences if we are not learning something like that whatever your question was Raghunandan Prabhu so that made me think that really it is it does happen I mean through, I'm speaking through experience that it is when we go through sufferings at at certain moments we do end up introspecting why is this happening to me and uh, what is the lesson in it for me and uh, you know we, we really grow spiritually we grow out of it yeah. Thank you. So there's one other point in the purport that's important. Well, there's many points, but Prabhupada writes, in the Bhakti Marg, uh, the path of devotional service, one must strictly follow the regulated principle by first controlling the tongue. Sevan mukhe jivadao swayam eva The tongue, jiva, can be controlled if one chants the Hare Krishna Mahamantra, does not speak any subjects other than those concerning Krishna and does not taste anything not offered to Krishna. And then it says, Srila Rupa Goswami has also advised that atyahara, too much eating, is an impediment 
to advancement in spiritual life. So this, you know, this will depend on our health and our age. You know, someone who's 21 should probably have as much prashadam as they can take. And someone who's 61 should probably be a little more uh, careful. But we hear this a lot. And I don't know how much it always sinks in, just the the, the uh, jiva or, or these two points about um, ways of purification, chanting Krishna's name and being careful about what we vibrate or talk about and the other thing about what we eat. Uh, that saying there, you are what you eat. So, um, and it's a challenge during COVID-19. I'm sure most of you are very sense controlled, but you know, we're, if we're staying at home, we're, we're only a few feet away from the kitchen. Whereas when we were at work, it, it, it's generally not quite like that. You bring some prasadam with you. It's in the, you know, whatever. And, and you take it and that's it. And, and, you know, maybe you have a snack bar at work and you go get some, you know, some nuts or something. But, um, here you have the whole pantry at your command and it is uh, sometimes and because of the added anxiety of uh, for so many different reasons there was a great talk yesterday with Madhvacharya Prabhu and Chitta Shakti Mataji who's a mental health professional in the UK and you know even for devotees <laughs> one thing I can relate to is just uh, you know I've never what has been since mid-March what's that five and a half months uh, I, I've never spent this much time with my wife. And she's like the only person I'm associated with. And, you know, we get along quite well, but for a lot of people, that's just too much, you know, being with, uh, you know, or what speak of it. if you have children, you know, younger children and you know, everyone's in the house, there's a lot. And then sometimes there's financial stresses. And and so it's it's a challenging time to practice what, and then for devotees, like our one, our one outlet sometimes is just prasadam. So, you know, um, so we just have to be a uh, little careful, especially as we get older, to make sure that we're getting sufficient exercise and, uh, and proper diet. Any thoughts on that? Okay. So now... We get the real answer. And it's interesting. Sukadev Goswami doesn't wait for Prichit Maharaj to, to, to reject it this time. Uh, he, he gets right into it. <laughs> uh, wait, was there sent? Let me just see if there's anything else I wanted to read about 14. Um, okay. So again, so now we're going to hear about the full remedy, one based on the practice of bhakti. Okay. Only a rare person who has adopted complete, unalloyed devotional service to Krishna can uproot the weeds of sinful actions with no possibility that they will revive. He can do this simply by discharging devotional service just as the sun can immediately dissipate fog by its rays. There's a long purport there. And this is the analogy is also... um, or the metaphor is, is, is interesting. So in 13 and 14, right, Sukadeva Goswami compared purification, the Gyani purification to, um, 
the runners of a bamboo plant, which remain alive under the earth even when the plant's stalks have been burnt in a fire. So when the conditions are right, the bamboo can again, you know, uh, regenerate. But in text 15, he uses a different analogy, different metaphor, right? To, to talk about, you know, how glorious bhakti is. He compares bhakti to a rising sun, which easily dissipates a morning fog. The fog vanishes and doesn't come back. Well, maybe the next day, but it vanishes for that day, right? It doesn't return like the, in the way that, um, the bamboo can. So the, the analogies are, or the metaphors are, are interesting here. So Sugiri Goswami, he's saying here, um, that pure bhakti, and I'll, let me read, uh, the next verse, also 16. My dear king, if a sinful person engages in the service of a bona fide devotee of the Lord, and thus learns how to dedicate his life to, unto the lotus feet of Krishna, he can be completely purified. One cannot be purified merely by undergoing austerity, penance, brahmacharya, and other methods of atonement I have previously described. So he's saying that, you know, pure bhakti, it removes both the, it removes both the reactions and the tendency to sin. Um, so it's, it's, it's an important uh, point here. So, you know, bhakti, because bhakti is really, this is to Andy's question to some extent, and maybe to some extent Raghunam's. Uh, bhakti addresses the problem right at the root. We sin ultimately when we act as Krishna's competitors. So it's better, much better, obviously, that we surrender and end our attempt to deplace Krishna as the enjoyer. And rather, we enter the mood of service. And now in this verse that we just read, practical means to perform that service is to serve those that Krishna loves, to serve Krishna's devotees. And, and the other things, you know, mentioned, I think it was that in verse 11 and 12, or 12 and 13, austerity, penance, brahmacharya, these, these are not... The, these are other methods of atonement that don't work to the root level, like that of service to Krishna and service to devotees of Krishna. Prabhupada well, writes, uh, well, any comments on that before I read? Because I'm going to read, a, well, I'll read a little bit about serving devotees in a minute. But any, any thoughts on, on this points that we just made about bhakti? Okay, well then we will hear about the, uh, this is going down past the uh, Mahatmanas to Mamparta verse that is quoted in the purport a little further. One must render service to a devote uh, Vaishnava in order to get freed from sinful reactions, revive one's original Krishna consciousness, and be trained in how to love Krishna. This is the result of Mahatma Seva. Of course, one engages in the service of a if one engages in the service of a pure devotee, the reactions of one's simple life are vanquished automatically. It's like, yeah, okay, that's what happens. Devotional service is necessary not to drive away an insignificant stock of sins, but to awaken our dormant love for Krishna. Let me read that again. Devotional service is necessary not to drive away an insignificant stock of sins. Now, that is an amazing statement in itself because we know from Nectar of Devotion 
that on one level it's not insignificant. It's huge. This 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 accumulation of aparabdha karma is is a huge amount of. Uh, but here, Prabhupada's specifically using the word insignificant because of not because they're not significant, but because of the power of bhakti. So it's just a byproduct. It's not, the, it's not our focus. We're not doing this to be liberated. We're not doing bhakti to be liberated. We're not doing bhakti to be free from reactions, to go to heavenly places, to enjoy. We're doing it to love Krishna. And it just so happens that when we awaken our dormant love for Krishna, as fog is vanquished at the first glimpse of sunlight, One's sinful reactions are automatically vanquished as soon as one begins serving a pure devotee. No separate endeavor is required. The word Krishnarpita uh, prana refers to a devotee who dedicates his life to serving Krishna, not to being saved from the path of hellish life. A devotee is Narayana Prayana or Vasudeva Prayana, which means that the path of Vasudeva or the devotional path is his life and soul. Narayana para sarve nakushastanyabidyati. Such a devotee is not afraid of going anywhere. That was when we'll, we'll be reading them in the 17th chapter of this canto when Chitraketu accepted the curse of going to hell um, and becoming a demon um, by uh, Parvati without any hesitation whatsoever. There is a path towards liberation in the higher planetary systems and a path towards the hellish planets, but a Narayana Parad devotee is unafraid wherever he is sent. He simply wants to remember Krishna wherever he may be. Such a devotee is unconcerned with hell and heaven. He is simply attached to rendering service to Krishna. When a devotee is put into hellish conditions, he accepts them as Krishna's mercy. Tat tenu kampam shukshamikshamana. He does not protest. Oh, I am such a great devotee of Krishna. Why have I been put into this misery? Instead, he thinks this is Krishna's mercy. Such an attitude is possible for a devotee who engages in the service of Krishna's representative. That is the secret of success. And when you read those few, those last sentences, at least I can't help but think Prabhupada's speaking autobiographically. You know, that he's put into, you know, he had to come to the West and leave Vrindavan. He accepts it as Krishna's mercy. He did not protest. Whoa, I'm a, such a great devotee. Why have I been put into this place? No, he says, this is Krishna's mercy. And he says, this attitude, and you can see Prabhupada thinking about his Guru Maharaj, is possible for a devotee who engages in the service of Krishna's representative. This is the secret of success. What a powerful purport. What a powerful purple. So we want to serve devotees. It, it saves us. And it all, what to speak of, it creates such a wonderful atmosphere in the devotional community. When we're in the mindset of, what can I do to serve that devotee? What can I do to serve that devotee? We're, we're, we're thinking consciously of, how can I render some service to a devotee? How, what, what can I do now? It's COVID-19. What can I do? I did this yesterday. I won't mention who, but uh, a devotee who, uh, a senior devotee who's living by themselves. 
and is a very strong devotee, but still going a little stir crazy, right? Uh, going a little stir crazy, um, being all all the time by themselves. And they, they it, so it was a little endeavor because they live in a, another country. But I got on, on Amazon dot whatever that country was and ordered them some nice uh, boga for their uh, deity worship. Just so they felt that someone's remembering them and someone's thinking about them and you know they're they're alone but they're not alone. Uh, and I just tried to think, okay, what can I do to serve this devotee? And I know what, what would please them the most is getting them some some nice things for their deity. And of course, they get the Mahaprasadam from that. Um, so we 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 also can find creative ways in uh, in this COVID nineteen time to find, uh, to serve devotees. It's such a uh, powerful thing. It's it's so powerful because when Krishna's devotees smile on us, then we know Krishna's smiling on us. Now Krishna smiles on us. And, you know, what's the problem? There's no problem. There's no problem. And of course, we're serving Prabhupada directly when we are engaging in, 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 in his mission and helping his society as well. That's, that's also Vaishnava Seva, if we're in that mood, that consciousness. So thoughts on Vaishnava Seva? I had a thought. I don't know if it's Vaishnava Seva. Okay, well, let's hear your thought, Andy. <laughs> well, just thinking about how amazing Prabhupada is. Of course, we all agree on that, right? But if someone says, I love Krishna, you can't measure that. You just They say that, right? But as far as proving the idea of service, right? Think how good Prabhupada made his Guru Maharaj look by doing all this. Because his <laughs> Guru Maharaj picked him. So that's validating his choice. And that's proof positive and you see what he did that you can't argue with it right he served That's a really his, nice way to put it yeah he served his guru maharaj very well by doing what he did at least yeah. i never heard it put exactly like yeah. that i really yeah. like that yeah. i really like that because yeah. that's proof that's proof in the pudding he did it right you can't say well he's just making it up he did it yeah right <laughs> and by doing that he glorified his guru more than any you know yeah, I was trying to think of there's some analogy in the in the world for that, but that's that's really well well said. Thank you. Very well said. Other thoughts? Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes, Raghunanda Prabhu. Uh, also, serving a bona fide devotee of the Lord is the proper way of taking the association of the devotee. Yeah. Sometimes, like we tend to think like association means just physically hanging out with each other, but association is actually serving that person. Mm, nice. And it's, and that, yes. And, and additionally, um, it's hearing from that person and, and, or hearing together the, in the, uh, you know, the five most potent items of bhakti, one of them is association of devotees, Right. And specifically, it's it's said. I don't know if it, because you know we know Bhagavat Shravan, hearing the Bhagavatam, uh, hearing the Shastra, is one of the five most potent items. But I also recall that the association of devotees is related to the hearing process in that description. 
So yes, and also the point, uh, this is a slightly different point, but chanting and hearing is our service. Sometimes we go up to a devotee and say, uh, Shakshi Gopal Prabhu, what's your service? And it means like, well, you know, well, I help in the kitchen or I, I you know, I uh, do a Namhata program, right, or whatever. Um, and we don't think so much, what's your service? Well, I, I, I chant my rounds and I hear the Bhagavatam every day because you know, that is seva, right? Hearing and chanting is seva. Like that. Yes. Other thoughts on seva? Uh, Suganda Ro put in the chat, serving the devotees, Vapu and Vani. Yes, physically serving and following their instructions. Very nice. Yes. And by the way, I didn't uh, acknowledge it. Thank you, Ananta Rupa and Jiva, for those quotes from the Gita previously. Okay, we can carry on then if there's nothing else. Um, such a such a powerful purport. Wow. Just uh you know, all all the all of like his favorite verses, you know, Narayana Parasarve, that whole thing about a devotee can go to heaven or hell, he doesn't care as long as he can serve. And then Tatenu Kampam, that the devotee doesn't protest. Why did this it's kind of it's very connected to Prematurangani Davy's point, you know, why is this happening to me? No, it, if anything, one takes a lesson from it and sees it as Krishna's mercy. Yeah. Very, very wonderful purport. Okay, so we are on to 17. The path followed by pure devotees who are well-behaved and fully endowed with the best qualification is certainly the most auspicious path in this material world. It is free from fear and it is authorized by Shastra. My dear king, as a pot containing liquor cannot be purified, even if washed in the waters of many rivers, non-devotees cannot be purified by processes of atonement, even if they perform them very well. Although not having fully realized Krishna, persons who have, this is such an encouraging uh, verse and purport, although not having fully realized Krishna, persons who have even once surrendered completely unto his lotus feet, and who have become attracted to his name, form, qualities, and pastimes are completely free from all sinful reactions. For they have thus accepted the true method of atonement. Even in dreams, such surrendered souls do not see Amaraj or his order carriers who are equipped with ropes to bind the sinful. Prabhupada writes that because neophyte devotees cannot understand what the forms of Narayan, Vasudeva, and Govinda are, Krishna directly says, Mam Ekam. Here, and this is also supported by the word Krishna Padara Vindayo. Narayana does not speak personally, but Krishna or Vasudev does, as in Bhagavad Gita, for example. Therefore, to follow the direction of Bhagavad Gita means to surrender to Krishna. And to surrender to Krishna in this way is the highest perfection of bhakti yoga. Mm. So Prabhupada really, uh, at that point, he's really emphasizing this, uh, well, let's read a little bit more. Prichit Maharaj had inquired from Sukadeva Goswami how one can be saved from falling into the various conditions of hellish life. In this verse, Sukadeva Goswami answers that a soul who is surrendered to Krishna certainly cannot go to Naraka, hellish existence. To say nothing of going there, even in his dreams, he does not see Amaraj or Zorda carriers who are able to take one there. In other words, if one wants to save himself from falling into Naraka, hellish life, he should fully surrender to Krishna. The word Sakrit is significant because 
it indicates that if one sincerely surrenders to Krishna once, he is saved, even if by chance he falls down to commit sinful activities. And at the end of the purport, the sinful actions of one who has surrendered to Krishna are compared to a snake with its poison fangs removed. Such a snake is no longer to be feared. Of course, one should not commit sinful activities on the strength of having surrendered to Krishna. However, even if one who has surrendered to Krishna happens to do something sinful because of his former habits, such sinful actions no longer have a destructive effect. Therefore, one should adhere to the lotus feet of Krishna very tightly and serve him under the direction of the spiritual master. Thus, in all conditions, one will be akuto bhaya, free from fear. So this, this conjures up, uh, I mean, we could talk about different things, and the encouraging point there, of course, is very well taken. Um, additionally, it reminds me of Jiva Goswami's discussions about Krishna being the supreme personality of Godhead. And because most, most Hindus will talk about Vishnu or Shiva, um, and they'll point out that Krishna is one of the ten avatars. And even in the Bhagavatam, I think it's 21 or 22 in the third uh, chapter of the first canto, different avatars are listed, and Krishna is mentioned as one of them. But then in verse 28, and Jiva Goswami goes on for a long, long time analyzing this verse, and he talks about, okay, all these others are um, portions or plenary portions of the, of, <clears throat> but, of the Purusha, but Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. He is the original Supreme Personality of God. And that's what Prabhupada is kind of bringing out here in this purport because he, he's picking up on the, the, the Sanskrit Krishna Padara Vindayo. Not Narayan, not, not Vishnu, Krishna Padara Vindayo. And, and then the, and then the verse is all about the mercy, the special special mercy of Krishna, of the incarnate, not the incarnate, but the avatari, the source of all incarnations, Krishna himself, and becoming attracted to his name, his form, his qualities, and his pastime. So it's a very, very important and significant verse for a lot of reasons, but also for this whole point that of the mercy of Krishna, that if one just, you know, surrenders to Krishna once, Krishna remembers that. And, and as Prabhupada mentions here, we should not take advantage of this. Um, just like if anyone can find the, at the very end of the purport to 9.30, in Bhagavad Gita, Prabhupada writes the same thing. He says, he is, we should not take advantage of this. He says, of course, one should not commit sinful activities on the strength of having surrendered to Krishna. However, even if one who has surrendered to Krishna happens to do something sinful, because of his former habits, such sinful actions no longer have a destructive effect. So this is, you know, after hearing all about the hellish planets, it's almost like seems unfair that all one has to do is develop, start approaching Krishna and developing some love for Krishna. And all that is like, okay, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. The blessings and mercy of, of Krishna. Very special. Um, Premachangani has put in the Ramayana. 
Oh yeah, this is beautiful. Thank you for doing this. If a person once surrenders unto me sincerely, saying, my Lord, from this day, I am fully surrendered unto you. I always give him protection. That is my vow. So that's Lord Ram, who is so wonderful, but and even he's not the avatari. So what to speak of Krishna as the source of, of Ram and his level of blessings and compassion. Anyone, no one found that? that uh, it's right at the end of 9.30. I guess I can look it up if no one found it. Um, but it's just, it's just making the same point that we just read, so it's not um, uh, essential. But uh, I always remember, Papa, I just remember him saying this. Yes, here it is. Um, no, no one should take advantage of this verse. The verse is, even if you commit the most sinful act, actions, um, the most abominable actions, if you're engaged in devotional service, uh, well, I'll just read it instead of paraphrase it. Even if one commits the most abominable action, if he is engaged in devotional service, he is to be considered saintly because he's properly situated in his determination. And after glorifying that and how powerful it is, Prabhupada does remind us, um, no one should take advantage of this verse and commit nonsense and think that he is still a devotee. If he does not improve in his character by devotional service, then he is to be considered uh, then it is to be understood that he is not a high devotee. So Prabhupada still calls him a devotee, but not a high devotee. Okay, so any uh, thoughts on this wonderful verse? Could I share something which Vishnachakwati Thakur said? It's really ecstatic. Absolutely, please. <laughs> he says, the purification does not depend on a solid basis of bhakti. Even once remembering the Lord is sufficient, what to speak of many times. Even thinking with the mind is sufficient, what to speak of hearing or uttering the name of the Lord. The mind which is materially attracted is sufficient, what to speak of a mind without material attractions. Thinking even in dreams is sufficient, what to speak of actual meditations. Wow. <laughs> Such persons have accomplished all atonement. Oh, nice. Thank you so much. You've made my year. <laughs> <laughs> and he also says, if a devotee practicing pure bhakti happens to commit sin again, it's like the bite of snake without fangs. Those mm. sins have no significant effect. Mm. So nice. And uh, Prabhupada uses the exact same example there in the purport. Yes, such as, yeah, the sinful actions of one who has surrendered is compared to a snake whose poisonous fangs removed. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so are you ready? We only have six minutes left, but we can start the pastime of Ajamil. Um, and the Vishnu Dutas and the Yama Dutas and Yamaraj. Okay? Which will go on for three chapters. In this regard, learned scholars and saintly persons, so this is described, this is the story or the pastime that illuminates the point that Sukadeva Goswami just made and, and, and the wonderful things that, uh, that Prematrangani Devi just, just read. The Puranas are old history. Oh, no, I'm sorry. In this regard, learned scholars and saintly persons describe a very old historical incident involving a discussion between the order carriers of Lord Vishnu and those of Yamaraj. Please hear this from me. 
And the purport is, is helpful in the beginning. The piranhas or old histories are sometimes neglected by unintelligent men who consider their descriptions mythological. Actually, the descriptions of the pranas or the old histories of the universe are factual, although not chronological. Okay? The pranas record the chief incidents that have occurred over many millions of years, not only on this planet, but also on other planets within the universe. So it's good to remember, you know, it's, it's, they're not, they, they're here to instruct, not to give a chronological history. In the city known as Kanyakubja, there was a Brahmin named Ajamil, who married a prostitute maidservant and lost all his Brahminical qualities because of the association of that low-class woman. This fallen Brahmana Ajamil gave trouble to others by arresting them, by cheating them and gambling, or by directly plundering them. In this way, this was the way he earned his livelihood and maintained his wife and children. My dear king, while he was, while he thus spent his time in abominable sinful activities to maintain his family of many sons, 88 years of his life passed by. That old man, Ajmil, had 10 sons, of whom the youngest was a baby named Narayana. Since Narayana was the youngest of all the sons, he was naturally very dear to both his father and mother. And Prabhupada mentions that uh, we can get some idea of his uh, sinfulness because he was 88 years old and had a very young child. Because of the child's broken language and awkward movements, old Ajamil was very much attached to him. He always took care of the child and enjoyed the child's activities. When Ajamila chewed food and ate it, he called the child to chew and eat. And when he drank, he called the child to drink also. Always engaged in taking care of the child and calling his name Narayana, Ajamil could not understand that his own time was now exhausted and that death was upon him. When the time of death arrived for the foolish Ajamil, he began thinking exclusively of his son Narayana. Ajamila then saw three awkward persons with deformed bodily features, fierce, twisted faces, and hair standing erect on their bodies. With the ropes of their hands, they had come to take him away to the abode of Yamaraj. When he was, when he saw them, he was extremely bewildered and became, and because of attachment to his child, who was playing a short distance away, Ajamil began to call loudly um, call him loudly by his name. Thus, with tears in his eyes, he somehow or other chanted the holy name of Narayana. Text 30. Which was the one that I did for homework? Was that 30? I, I lost track. Anyone know? 31. 31. 31, thank you. 31, okay. So text 30. My dear king, the order carriers of Vishnu, the Vishnu Dutas, immediately arrived when they heard the holy name of their master from the mouth of the dying Ajamila, who had certainly chanted without offense because he had chanted in complete anxiety. The order carriers of Yamaraj were snatching the soul from the core of the heart of Ajamil, the husband of the prostitute. But with resounding voices, the messengers of Lord Vishnu, the Vishnu Dudas, forbade them to do so. So I am going to keep you on the edge of your chairs until next week instead of going because 
we're not going to, you know, in one minute start talking about the holy name and the Vishnu Dutas and all that. But we will, um, we will certainly pick this up. This very, very inspiring pastime. So we covered a lot today. Thank you so much for your ongoing hearing of the Srimad Bhagavatam uh, as our very means of conquest. And we will, uh, I hope you have a really nice week. Um, please remember Bhaktivinoda Thakur today and um, Haridas Thakur tomorrow. Wonderful time that we, uh, festival time that we're in. So thank you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.